Welcome everyone to episode six of the Texocity series presented by the 210 Culture Podcast. Happy November, guys. It is Thanksgiving. We got that beans, creams, potatoes, tomatoes, and all that other good shit coming in. I'm so excited. I cannot wait. Although Texocity Reddit chats is out the door because October is over. <laughs> I didn't mean for that to rhyme. It just happened. In this episode, I wanted to deep dive into the case of Janine Ann Jones, aka the Angel of Death. So Janine Ann Jones was responsible for the deaths of up to 60 infants and children when she worked at the Bear County Hospital, what is now University Hospital here in San Antonio, Texas. All right, so just going to jump right into it. So Janine Ann Jones was born July 13th. 1950 assuming here in san antonio texas since i mean obviously i'm assuming it was here janine's parents ended up putting janine for adoption and was adopted by nightclub owner dick aka richard and his wife gladys jones who had already adopted three children dick jones was a professional gambler and a serial entrepreneur he would open his nightclub then a restaurant, followed by a billboard business. Unfortunately, Dick's businesses wouldn't last as he was a big spender and eventually took a toll on the whole family. Janine was said to be a precocious girl, developing certain abilities at an early age. In her childhood, she craved attention and learned to manipulate family members, teachers, and other authority figures to get it. Janine's parents would hardly be home as they ran their multiple businesses. It is sad that her parents were very studious and successful and did not dedicate much time to raising their children to their liking. Janine's loneliness was even more of a problem due to her being short and overweight and eventually grew a reputation of being aggressive as well as consistently lying, manipulating, and betraying people. In 1960, at the age of 10, her father would get arrested for breaking into a man's house, breaking into his safe, and stealing money and jewelry. Janine's life would just get worse from there. In 1966, her favorite brother, Travis, was killed in an accident where he attempted to build a pipe bomb in his father's workshop. No one knew why. The bomb then exploded and killed Travis immediately. Travis was 14 years old and it devastated Janine. Although it was a tragedy for her, she also realized that she could gain sympathy and attention from both her peers and adults in light of her situation. She would use this tactic to manipulate people into giving her attention months after her brother Travis's death. It also mentions, I'm not too sure why I didn't add it on here, Travis was the youngest one, Janine was the middle one, and her older brother, well, was her older brother. I'm not too sure what his name was, but he got cancer and passed away. So that, I'm sure, devastated her even more. But then a year later, in 1967, Janine's father would eventually die of terminal cancer. Janine was left without her two best friends and didn't know where to turn. Shortly after Janine's father's death, she started dating Jimmy Delaney, who was a high school dropout, 
After some time, Janine and Jimmy would get engaged, when Janine was just 17 years old. Since Janine was still a minor, she needed parental consent to get married, and her mother denied the engagement. Janine and her mother would get into vicious arguments for months over the engagement, until her mother finally relented. Janine would graduate high school at John Marshall High School, and her and Jimmy were married shortly after Janine's 18th birthday in 1968. The reason for the marriage was because Janine would tell Jimmy that she was pregnant, but later admitted that she really wasn't. Da bitch, you a dumb hoe. Seven months into the marriage, Jimmy decided to join the Navy and was stationed in Georgia. When the cat's away, the mice fucking played. Janine would allege to have multiple affairs while Jimmy was away. She was so proud of her affairs and even bragged about them to her friends. Janine would even tell her friends about engaging in affairs with her married friend's husbands. But Janine's friends assumed she was exaggerating and would make up stories for attention, dot, 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 like she had done her whole life. When Jimmy returned, Janine did end up pregnant and had her first child named Richard Michael Delaney in 1974. Janine and Jimmy's marriage was rocky. Janine would constantly be frustrated that Jimmy was always gone as he had to be stationed in different states. The marriage ended after four years and in 1974 filed for divorce. While filing for divorce, Janine would accuse Jimmy of beating her often, quote, a man of violent and ungovernable temper and passion, unquote, who had been guilty of, unquote, conscionable brutality and physical cruelty, unquote. But Jimmy would always deny those allegations and would say that he would never hit her. In 1977, Janine and Jimmy would have a one-night stand where Janine would become pregnant with her second child and had Heather Delaney. Janine wasn't much of a mother material, being how her parents were never there. So she decided to leave Heather and Richard with her grandmother and Heather and Richard were raised by their grandmother. Now, moms kind of set the example, so... Janine's mother always urged Janine to consider a career and Janine eventually trained to be a beautician at Meme's Beauty School. Shortly after completing her training, she was hired as a beautician in a hospital outside of San Antonio where Janine would realize that she was extremely attracted to doctors and wanted their approval of her. After working as a beautician for months, Janine developed an allergy to hair products and was unable to continue working as a beautician. This led to Janine enrolling in a training program to get her vocational nursing certificate. A year later, Janine finished her certification and started working as a vocational nurse at Methodist Hospital. She was fired after eight months of working there for assaulting a patient. Janine explained in Texas Monthly that she, quote, had a conflict with a doctor, unquote. Quote, it was a lack of feeling on the physician's part toward the patient, and I stood up for the patient, and he didn't like it. They asked me to resign, unquote. Janine would then take a job in the obstetrics gynecology ward 
at a community hospital, but resigned after three months as she had to undergo a minor surgery. Now, in October of 1978, Janine would answer an ad for an ICU job at Bear County Medical Center, where she would begin to work in the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit on October 30th, 1978. During this time, I'm abbreviating Bear County Medical Center to BCMC, just so I won't have to say the whole fucking name the whole time. BCMC was involved in a massive, massive high-profile trial relating to the denial of care to low-income families, which were mostly Hispanic. After the trial, BMC was forced to rework its admission policies and began to care for low-income Hispanic patients that had been previously denied. Because of this trial, BCMC ultimately lost many of its benefactors and wealthy donors. BCMC, at this point, didn't want to face more scrutiny and legal pressure, so they also decided to lower their standards in hiring nursing staff. BCMC was looking for RNs, registered nurses, during this time, and Janine was a licensed vocational nurse just below an RN. In San Antonio in the 1970s, there was a massive nursing shortage, which is why BCMC hired Janine despite her dismissal and poor performance record at her previous employer. Sources say that Janine was hired after a short phone call and a visit to the hospital to sign paperwork. The pediatric intensive care unit that Janine worked at occupied a rectangular space the size of a two-car garage. The ICU contained eight beds in separate cubicles with large glass windows that allowed the nurses to keep an eye on the patients and on the machines that monitored their heartbeats and breathing. In the back of the ICU was a small room where nurses could sit and relax. It was filled with supplies and equipment for conducting simple lab tests. Patients in the ICU ranged up to 16 years old, but most were infants. Newborn children who were gravely ill would go to the neonatal ICU, a floor below, where they would receive more specialized care and were isolated from the infection that children who had been outside the hospital may have brought in. The pediatric ICU is for kids who have been out in the world. Children were brought here to recover from surgery or to be treated for a disease or an injury. Janine mentions that her first emotion working at BCMC pediatric ICU was, quote, stark, raving fear, unquote, but said that her doubts about the switch from adults to children disappeared quickly. Quote, the first baby I ever took care of was a preemie with a dying gut, unquote, she recalls. Quote, I picked the kid up and I knew I was going to stay there, unquote. Sherilyn Pendergraft, the RN who gave Janine her orientation, wasn't so sure. The infant with necrotizing enterocolitis went to surgery, returned to the ICU, and died. Janine had barely cared for the child, but, quote, she just went berserk, unquote. Pendergraft says she broke into deep, racking sobs, moved a stool into the dead baby's cubicle, and sat staring at the body. Doctors made rounds in the morning and drifted in and out during the day at the pediatric ICU. 
but none worked there full time. For that reason, the nurses were an extremely strong presence. A pediatric ICU nurse spends all their time on one or two patients who demand almost constant attention and are not capable of doing anything for themselves. Not all patients were on the brink of disaster, but many were. Janine quickly came to think of herself as an ICU nurse. After three months working night shifts from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., she moved to the 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. shifts. BCM was still experiencing nurse shortages, so Janine would often volunteer to work overtime. Janine had enthusiasm, knowledge, and technical skills that had impressed everyone from RNs who normally looked down on LVNs, supervisors, doctors, etc., it was said that Janine's most distinctive nursing skill was her talent for putting intravenous lines into veins. It was difficult for nurses to master as many would turn their patients into pincushions, sticking them a dozen times a day in a dozen different places. It's true, man. Whenever I get my fucking blood work done, some of them bitches are like squeezing it in and then they're like wiggling it around and I'm like, bitch, like come on like this isn't it this fucking hurts stop and then my fucking arm is all bruised up all fucking weak it's terrible thank you for coming to my TED talk it's even trickier for infants but for janine it was a breeze one doctor even said quote she could stick an iv in a freaking fly unquote even though many admired janine she also had many enemies due to her personality janine was loud and coarse she would blurt out four-letter curse words or tell dirty jokes in a crowd of nurses and doctors. She would speak freely of the joys of sex, bragging about past affairs and pointing out those she had in mind for the future. Janine would be known as the most aggressive nurses of them all. She would spot problems in patients before anyone else, problems that many residents she dragged out of call room beds often say didn't exist. She became known as a nurse who cried wolf. Quote, she'd always call you for crap, unquote, says a resident now in private practice in San Antonio. Quote, after a while, you'd be tired of going over there. Any little thing, she'd be calling you two, three, four times as much as anyone else. She wanted a lot of attention. After a while, you'd think she was a pain in the ass, unquote. If one doctor rejected her advice, Janine would call another one. And if that one would reject her advice, she would go up to higher command if needed. While Janine was giving her coworkers and other employees hell, she was completely different with parents of the critically ill children in the ICU. Janine was comforting, patient, understanding. She would have long talks with the parents, listen to their complaints and fears. Janine became a friend. During Janine's tenure at BCMC, many co-workers started noticing some alarming statistics. The pediatric ICU ward where Janine was assigned was experiencing nearly three times as many emergencies than before Janine even got hired. During her 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. shift, the amount of emergencies and death nearly tripled during one four-week period in the early 1980s. Almost all emergencies were called during Janine's shifts as were most of the patient deaths. Patients who had very minor treatable illnesses such as diarrhea or the sniffles 
would end up dying from causes entirely unrelated to what they were initially admitted for. Janine would use the drugs heparin and anectine and administer them in lethal doses to the babies. These powerful drugs would then cause the infants to bleed out and or suffocate alive. Janine would inject her patients with these drugs, watch over their beds, wait for the fatal symptoms to take hold, would then call for a code hospital emergency when the patient stopped breathing and or started bleeding profusely. If the patient could not be saved, Janine would mourn over the patient's death for hours, would cradle the deceased patients in their own blood before taking them to the hospital's morgue herself. During this time, nurses and doctors started to take notice of her strange behavior and started noticing the large amounts of heparin and anectine were missing from the supply area. Dr. James Robot Ham, hey, I like that, decided to low-key investigate Janine and reported his findings to the hospital board. Since BCMC had just finished their trial against not treating low-income families, they did not want to face another lawsuit, decided to ignore his findings, and proceeded to suspend him, him instead of Janine. Since Janine became friendly with the right high places, Robot Ham's suspicion fell on deaf ears. Even the head nurse of the pediatric ward thought this was wildly untrue because she loved Janine. Robotham convinced another doctor still working at the ward to investigate Janine as well. The number of patient codes and deaths were continuing to rise and other doctors started to notice that patients were recovering on shifts of other nurses but growing worse during Janine's shifts. The doctor as well as other pediatric ICU nurses took their findings to the hospital board again. This time the hospital hospital administration hired a world-renowned pediatric doctor from a children's hospital in Toronto to do an independent investigation of BCMC's pediatric ICU ward. The pediatric doctor would conclude that the pediatric ward was a complete disaster. I mean, nightmare. The investigation produced a report that the staff of the ward were shook, like shooketh to the core, okay? Rumors about Janine's involvement together with the increase in patients' deaths created factions among and between nurses and doctors. The doctors had determined that this was very detrimental to their patients' well-being. Therefore, the entire hierarchy and structure of the department was to be reworked. The hospital rewrote their internal policies which prohibited LVNs from working in the ward. Only RNs and nurse practitioners were to be assigned to the pediatric ICU ward. Janine, having no training or certifications that would qualify her as a registered nurse, was let go from BCMC because of the new policy. A former colleague of Janine's reached out after a few months of being unemployed about a position for a private practice pediatric clinic in Kerrville, Texas. Dr. Kathleen Holland had always been fond of Janine during her time at BCMC and thought she was a perfect candidate for this position. <laughs> Bitch you thought. Although Janine was still an LVN, she would wear a name tag at the private practice that read Janine Jones Clinician, making others believe that Janine was qualified and able to take care for children. This, of course, reignited Janine's desire to see these children suffer. Almost immediately, the private pediatric clinic 
noticed an increase of emergency calls to the hospital's pediatric ICU ward. There were many cases where a patient would be brought in for a routine checkup or a minor illness, but they would suddenly stop breathing upon immediate entry to the exam room with Janine. Parents would hear their children's screams from the exam room, and when they would go into the room, Janine could not explain what had happened other than the children were in shock and cardiac arrest. Janine would be forced to call an ambulance to a nearby hospital, where she would accompany the patients in the ambulance to make sure they would not recover from treatment by paramedics. The parents, terrified, would follow the ambulance to the hospital. Dr. Holland started to notice that Janine was ordering way too much heparin and anectine than needed for the clinic supplies. Only Dr. Holland and Janine had access to the cabinet where the drugs were kept. So Dr. Holland began to suspect that Janine was giving patients lethal overdoses that were causing all these medical emergencies. Many patients unfortunately suffered mysterious seizures while in the exam room with Janine over a period of only three months. Although Dr. Holland had her suspicions, she couldn't report Janine in time. Janine wouldn't get far this time as she received her first confirmed victim, which she was charged and convicted, and it was 15-month-old Chelsea McClellan. Chelsea was brought in for her routine mumps and measles vaccine. However, she immediately went into a seizure minutes after being brought into the exam room with Janine. An ambulance to a nearby hospital was called, and Janine then rode with Chelsea in the ambulance. Chelsea would unfortunately suffer a cardiac arrest en route to the hospital and was pronounced dead on arrival. Chelsea beforehand had been completely healthy, running around, playing with her parents when they arrived at the clinic that day. After Chelsea's death in 1982, Dr. Holland became weary and questioned Janine about the high amount of hospital emergencies and missing drugs. Janine would proceed to lie to Dr. Holland by telling her that all the babies, quote, suddenly went into shock, unquote, and that she tried to subdue them with a muscle relaxer. Dr. Holland proceeded to remove supply ordering from Janine's duties, but upon prosecution, it was found that Janine had started diluting the drugs after her confrontation with Dr. Holland and filling the bottles with water. By 1983, BCMC completed an investigation into 47 suspicious deaths of pediatric patients over the four-year period Janine worked there. A similar investigation launched in Kerrville for the hospitalization of eight infants from the private clinic where Janine was currently working with Dr. Holland. Both investigations would conclude that all those infants were injected with lethal doses of muscle relaxers that had caused the patients to stop breathing and bleed out. It turns out the relaxer was succinylcholine. Succinylcholine is a powerful, short-acting paralytic that causes temporary paralysis of all skeletal muscles as well as those that control breathing. The drug is used as part of a general anesthetic. A patient cannot breathe while under the influence of this drug. In small children, cardiac arrest is the ultimate result 
of doxygenation due to a lack of respiration. Throughout the rest of the year in 1983, Janine was named an official suspect in the deaths of 10 other infants at BCMC. In November of 1984, Janine was indicted again in San Antonio for the attempted murder of one-month-old Rolando Santos, a former patient of Janine's at BCMC. It is said that she injected him with an overdose of heparin, but another doctor on staff managed to save Rolando's life while Janine was off-duty. January of 1984 is when Janine's trial for the murder of Chelsea McClellan finally began. After a month-long trial, it took the jury a few hours to convict Janine for Chelsea's death. Janine would receive the maximum sentence of 99 years in prison. In October of 1984, Janine was convicted again for the attempted murder of Rolando Santos, giving her an additional 60 years in prison to be served concurrently with her previous sentence for Chelsea. Shockingly, BCMC shredded 9,000 pages, 9,000 pages of medical records in 1984 from the time Janine worked there. These documents were subpoenaed by the grand jury at the time, but BCMC was never prosecuted for the destruction of evidence. In a 2011 letter to the Texas Board of Nursing, discovered Janine responding to formal proceedings to revoke her long-suspended nursing license before her potential release. Janine wrote from prison apologizing, quote, for the damage I did to all because of my crime, unquote. She added, quote, I look back now on what I did and I agree with you that it was heinous, that I was heinous, unquote. As of May of 2016, Janine was held at the Lane Murray unit of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Janine was actually scheduled for mandatory release in 2018 due to a Texas law meant to prevent prison crowding. Janine was technically released from prison on March 1st, 2018, but was immediately booked, jailed, and indicted for five new charges of murder for patient deaths in 1991 and 1992. According to Janine's attorney, for each new murder cases in 2018, she did it because, quote, the voices in her head told her to, unquote. Janine's current attorney asked a judge to dismiss these new indictments, but the judge refused to do so. At the beginning of 2020, Janine pleaded guilty to killing 11-month-old Joshua Weeks, who overdosed on an anti-seizure drug. Four other murder charges were dropped in a plea bargain, although family members were allowed to present impact statements to the court. Joshua Weeks' mother said her family was, quote, glad today that you will never see daylight as a free woman and your life will end in captivity for killing my son, Joshua, unquote. Quote, I hope for you to live a long and miserable life behind bars, unquote. Weeks' mother said, a goodbye. Janine will be eligible for parole in 18 years when she's 87 years old. And that, my friends, was a case of Janine Ann Jones. Isn't that crazy? People born in the early 80s and 
just to think how fucking wild that Janine Jones could have potentially killed you if you were born in the same hospital. I was really trying to find if the ex-husband had some type of a statement, if the kids had some type of a statement. I couldn't really find anything on the kids as far as their mother being a serial killer. I don't know. That's interesting. I was watching something on YouTube, actually. I don't remember what it's... I don't remember the title. It was on YouTube, but it, it's about how, you know, parents or family members, a close, like, immediate family were um serial killers and how the family of the killers explained you know how the killers were as a childhood growing up leading on to the killings that they did and then that same family member had to go to the victim's home and apologize for what their family member did so I thought that was quite interesting. And I think one of the episodes I saw was John Wayne Gacy's family. Um, I think it was like her or his um, sister. His sister and his niece. And his sister and his niece had to go to, I think, one of the victim's homes to talk about, you know, what had happened, to apologize. I know those family members don't have to because they have nothing to do with it, right? But it was interesting if you guys enjoy the Tech Saucity series presented by the 210 Culture podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, 210 Culture, and be placed on notifications so that you are notified when the next episode of the Tech Saucity series comes out. I wish y'all nothing but the best. So I will see you guys later. Bye.